The waters of the Bay of Biscay were being whipped by summer storms, so for the next several days we ran about one-third of the distance submerged, in order to save wear and tear on our boat and crew. On June 11th we received several short FT radiograms from one of our sister boats from Lorient, Captain Lieutenant Heinrich Schuchs, U-105. The frantic messages reported that she had been attacked by aircraft and her situation was critical. She was leaking seriously and unable to submerge. The broadcasts ceased a few minutes later. We then received orders from Admiral Dönitz's headquarters to speed to U-105's last reported position to render assistance. Before we reached her, however, we were ordered to resume our previous course. We all knew what that probably meant. When we returned to base after this patrol, we were relieved to learn U-105 had not sunk. But at the time, we were all heartsick over what we assumed had happened to our comrades. I felt especially bad because I had been originally assigned to U-105 during my first month in Lorient. If not for a lucky transfer to U-505, I mused, I would be sharing that watery grave with my old friends right now. Of course, life goes on, and I had to stay alert as ever at my duty station in the control room. But sometimes, when all was quiet except for the monotone rumble of the diesels, I would get lost in thought and imagine the faces of those boys sealed in their steel tomb at the bottom of the sea. Unfortunately, U-105's good luck was the exception rather than the rule. Almost all of our comrades from that early period were eventually lost during the course of the war. The death of so many friends and family members caused some of us to become morose or frightened. Not me. As our casualties mounted, I became angry and more determined than ever to defeat our nation's enemies. Perhaps I was just too young and idealistic to read the writing on the wall, but I believed, right up until the very end, Germany would triumph in the war. The next couple of weeks passed quietly. We were able to run most of the time on the surface, making good time in our transit across the Atlantic. My favorite moments were passed on the bridge watch, especially during the relatively cool nights. Blazing stars filled the summer heavens, the whole universe seemingly dipping and swaying with the gentle rocking of our boat. Around midnight, Anton, Tony, Kern, our boat's cook, would come to the bridge with his steaming pot of Mittelwächter, a welcomed mixture of very strong coffee laced with rum. He had to guard the pot like a hawk, since the tasty black brew was very much desired by everyone in the crew, whether on watch or not. Tony and I became good friends. I remember the first time he tried to make a big pot of hot tea for the crew. Most Germans are coffee drinkers, so Tony had not been trained how to make tea during his four-week cooking course in U-boat school. In his ignorance, he used the same measure of tea leaves as one would use for coffee. He boiled the leaves until the tea was as black as old motor oil.
The stuff tasted bitter as poison when we tried to drink it. Kapitän Leutnant Löwe's mother was Dutch, so the skipper was a big tea drinker. Naturally, he demanded it be properly brewed. It was very amusing to watch the skipper hovering over the stove like a patient old aunt, instructing a very embarrassed Tony on the intricacies of tea-making. The balance of our voyage across the Atlantic was a fine one. The weather was quite calm, and we escaped serious attention from the enemy. At one point we even felt confident enough to set up a table on the upper deck and enjoy our lunch al fresco. It was to be the last time in the war that we would be able to travel so far on the surface without molestation from the air. Sometimes we were visited by schools...